Hey everybody, welcome back to Parsha Lab. It is Parsha Bamidbar. This is Rabbi David Foreman. I'm here with a very special guest who you will never even guess. It is my daughter, Ariella, who's in eighth grade. She's off from school this week on an internship in Olive Veda. And Ariella, it's good to have you. Say hi to everybody. Hi. All right, Ariella. We're going to be taking a look at Parsha Bamidbar today. And I have a question for you for starters. Are you ready for my question? I hope so. Okay, great. How would you translate Sefer Bamidbar? If you had to put that in English, what would you call it? In the desert. In the desert. In Latin, something appropriate like in desertum. But that's not actually how we name it. At least that's not what it's named in English. What it's called in English actually is numbers, or in Latin, numeri. And the reason why he gets that is actually from the Hebrew, which Chazal call it, is actually Chumash Hapikudim, which sort of loosely translates into the Book of Numbers. And so the Latin and the English pick up on that, much as Leviticus gets its name Leviticus, not from Vayikra, the first word in the book, which just means to call. But Leviticus really means the laws for the Levites, or particularly the laws for the Kohanim, the priests who come for the Levites, which again is a translation of what the sages call this, which is Torah Kohanim, the laws of the Levite class. But here's the question I want to ask you. On a scale from 1 to 10, I'd like you to to sort of rate and explain why you think or how you think the name of the book matches with kind of the main ideas of the book and whether you think it's a good name for the book. You know, you got to approve them. You were on the approval table for names of the Bible. So on a scale from 1 to 10, with 1 being really bad and 10 being wonderful, I'd like you to rate these names. You ready? Safer Brashit. We're going to call it Brashit, not just because of the word Brashit, but because we think Brashit actually works to capture the idea of the book. Brashit means in the beginning, or in Latin, Genesis. How good of a name do you think this is? I think that for the Parsha, it's a 10. For okay. the Safer, it's like a 2. Oh my gosh. That's talking not very like good. We two, have a critical Ariella. It's just talking Ariella. about one out of 50. I hear you. All right. So if you would have to name the book, Give me an alternative name that you think is better. That's to sort of sum it up. Well, I guess you could do, obviously it wouldn't be called exactly this, but like Avram and his descendants. Avram and his descendants. So now let's get back to the word Genesis in the beginning. If you took a more expansive view of the words in the beginning, could you see how this might actually be a good title for the book? In other words, if you take in the beginning as narrowly speaking about the creation of the universe itself, then yes. You only got one chapter covered, but if you take a more expansive view of in the beginning, what else could in the beginning mean? It could mean in the beginning of a universe and in the beginning of a people, a nation, the beginning of our people, in which case it's a great name for the book, right? It probably gets a 10 because it's it's sort of laying the groundwork where the, the family gets started that is ultimately going to become Israel. So it's in the beginning of a world and it's in the beginning of a nation, sort of all wrapped into but the one. So let's keep that. Okay, Ariella, let's go to our next book, the book of Shemot in Hebrew, or Exodus in English. Do you think it's a good name? And here you sort of have to break up the difference between the Hebrew name and the English name, right? They seem to have little to do with each other. If you had to translate the name Shemot into English, what would you have called the book? Names. Names. But notice how that's not how the English authors called it. They called it Exodus. Probably because Exodus sounds like a much better name for the book, right? Because, Ariella, if you had to think about Exodus on a scale from 1 to 10, how good of a name would that be? Exit for the book. 9. 
9, because that's like a major idea about the book, right? The people of Israel are all going through and all the movies made of them, Prince of Egypt, Ten Commandments. It's like a stunning theatrical event, the Exodus from Egypt. Really good name for like the main event of the book. How would you have thought about names? If we called the book Names, do you think that would have been a really good name for the book, Ariella? On a scale from 1 to 10, what would you rate it? 0.5. It's like really bad, right? I mean, it's like the first verse. And then we're off to the races with an entirely different idea. There's a new king. Everyone becomes slaves. They get out of Egypt. Right? What does names have to do with anything? So let's move on. Let's go to Leviticus, Hebrew name Vayikra. Notice how the English people did not stick with that name. For good reason. For good reason. So Ariella, how good of a name do you think Vayikra is for the book? One. One. And why is it so bad, Ariella? The only reason why it's good is because it's used so much in Vayikra, but it has nothing to do with anything. Nothing to do with the meaning of the book. What does the word Vayikra mean? And he called... And he called. So Moshe got called. It's the first thing that happened. Pretty bad name, right? Mm-hmm. Leviticus is a much better name, which is probably why the English folks dropped the Hebrew and they didn't just translate the Hebrew like they did with Breshit translating to Genesis. They didn't just call it column, like Latinized called. Instead, they just changed it entirely to Leviticus, which just means the laws of the Levite class, or the laws of the Levium, or the laws of the priests, which actually picks up on what Chazal say the, the name of the book is. It's another name that Chazal, our sages, give to the book. They call it Torah Kohanim, the laws of the Kohanim. So basically, the English folks just sort of took a pass on what traditionally in Hebrew it's called, Vayikra, and they just called it by something the rabbis called it, Torah Kohanim. Um, so basically, we've got two books now that the English names seem to have nothing to do with anything. The direct English translation, or based off the Hebrew, or the Hebrew names, seem to be weird, right? The Hebrew name for Breshit, I kind of get it, why it might be a good name for the book. It's the beginning of everything. But when it comes to Shemot and Vayikra, Ariella has given us an official 0.5 and 1 for these names. Very bad, because a book that is called Names and a book that's called Callings doesn't really have to do with much, seemingly. And that brings us to Numeri, or the Book of Numbers, which is another time where the Hebrew name for the book and the English name kind of diverge. What do you have in Hebrew for Numbers? If you were translating it, Ariella, what name would you give Bamidbar? In the Desert. In the Desert. Okay, how good of a name for the whole book would you say In the Desert is? Seven. Pretty good, because they were at least in the desert. Strangely, though, the English folks thought they could do even better. They called it numeri, numbers, based off of seemingly one of the first things that happens in this book. Take a look at the first couple verses here, Ariella. See if you can read them and tell me why the book is called Numbers. Go ahead. So God is telling uh, Moses to do something over here in the second year of the desert, and what's he telling him to do? What should he do? He should count Ben Israel. He should count the children of Israel. Ah, so now you see why it's called numbers? Yeah. Yeah, because that has to do with counting, right? Okay, now rate it. How good of a name is the book of numbers? Because we've got some counting over here. Three. Three, it's pretty good for Parshat Bamidbar. Doesn't do much for the rest of the book. The rest of the book has to do with the travails of the people during this time in the desert. Very little to do with numbers. So, Ariella, we have got quite a task for us. In looking at the names of all these books, few of them make sense to us. Genesis, we can get by with. 
Shmot, well, the English sounds a lot better than the Hebrew. What does Shmot have to do with anything? And Vayikra, that sounds like a really poor name, much better in English, Leviticus. Over here, the book of Numbers, you know, it's sort of okay in Hebrew in the desert. The English name Numbers really is kind of weird. The English name, by the way, comes off of something else that Chazal say, Chumash HaPikudim, the law of numbers, the laws of Pikudim, because the word for numbering over here is actually Pakad. If you take a look, if you read one more verse, verse 3 over here in the beginning of Abidbar, we hear that Miben Asrim Shana Bamala, from 20 years old, Kol anybody that goes out to the army, Tif Gedu Otam, there's that word Pikudim, you shall count. And therefore, hence the word numbers of the book Pikudim. So, Ariel, what I'd like to do with you is try to come up with a theory that would make at least these four first books of the Bible actually make sense. Genesis, Exodus, or Shmot, really, the book of names, the book of Leviticus, the book of not just the laws of the Levites, but the book of calling, and finally, the book of Bamidbar, or otherwise known as Chumash HaPikudim, the laws, the book of counting. How would these all stitch together? And to do that with you, Ariel, I want to sort of engage in a little kind of Venn diagram analysis of the central word that Chazal, that our sages use for the Sefer Bamidbar. They call it Chumash HaPikudim. We're going to be looking at the word Pakad and its various different meanings and almost kind of assembling a Venn diagram and trying to see that this word is almost like a chameleon. It has a lot of different shades of meaning. How exactly do they overlap? So, Ariella, we've seen the word pakad over here right in the beginning of Midbar to be a word that means to count. From your vast knowledge of the rest of the Bible, can you give me any other instance where pakad you think might be a candidate to mean something else? So Sarah is about to have a child. She gets pregnant. Word for that, Hashem pakad et Sarah. There's that verb. Give me some sort of translation of that verb. God what, Sarah? Remembered. God remembered Sarah, maybe. And that, in, in fact, is how many translations will, will translate it. God remembered Sarah. But remembered doesn't seem to have a lot to do with the idea of counting. Uh, let's take another shot at pakad. Does pakad mean anything else from your knowledge of, of Torah? Where else would the word pakad ever appear? Pakod yifkodatchem. Good. Pakod yifkodatchem. Where does that phrase appear? Um, at the end of Bereshit, with Yosef telling his brothers to not bury him in Mitzrayim. And so what is he telling the brothers when he says, Pakod yifkod Hashem's going to remember you. Not just they'll remember you. We're on the cusp of a terrible dark moment in Jewish history, slavery, which will last for 400 years. The Jews don't want to just be remembered. What else do they want? Redemption. They want Redemption. You're going to be redeemed. You're going to be taken out of this terrible place. Interestingly, by the way, in a way, that's what Yosef wants from his brothers. Because as you put it, what's Yosef's request of his brothers at that moment when he says that God will ultimately remember you in Egypt? What does Yosef want from his brothers at that point? When Hashem takes them out, that they should remember to bring his Oh, bones. there's that word again. They should remember me. In other words, don't forget me kind of redeem me as well. And in a way, you're beginning to see a connection between the word redeem and remember, right? How do you see the word redeem and remember as connecting? Why should those two English words have one Hebrew word that they come from? What does that Hebrew word mean? How does the idea of remember connect with the idea of redeem? How does it feel to be remembered? How does it feel to be redeemed? Imagine you're a slave. What bothers you about being a slave? 
No one notices you. And what's the only reason why you matter? If you're doing something in the world. Yeah, I'm doing something in the world for Paro, not for myself. I'm making bricks. And if I die and if I drop, there's always somebody to take my place. I feel forgotten, right? But when someone redeems me, I feel like I matter again. Mm -hmm. I feel like I count. If someone remembers me, I feel like I count. That which is forgotten doesn't count, right? It just blends in with everything else, almost like a whole bunch of grains of sand. that Nobody remembers them. Nobody counts them. So there's this Venn diagram here of meaning where three words that seem to mean different things count. Count in English has two meanings. It can mean to number something, but it can also mean to matter, to count. The idea of to be remembered is when you feel like you matter. To be redeemed is actually when, oh my gosh, somebody actually cares about me and takes me out. And that, in fact, is what Joseph is asking from his brothers. Could you remember me? Could I count when I'm just bones? Could you take my bones out from here? That would be a great show of brotherhood. And I count that I'm part of your family, that I matter to you. And in fact, there's one other reading of the word pakad, which is going to appear in Bamidbar. If you read a little bit more here on this part, if I can direct you now, chapter 1, Perak Allah Pasuk Memchet and Memtet. Take a look at, in those three verses, to Perak Nun, Hafkeid, as this word, has sort of a, another chameleon example of it. But Levi, you shouldn't count, and you shouldn't make them be a part of Bnei Israel. And you shouldn't count. It's just another word for count, tifkod, and tisa. But now look at that verb, how pakad is now going to take on a different shade of meaning in the very next verse. Read the first half of the next verse. And what does that mean? What does hafkeid mean now? Appoint. You should appoint the Levites to a special job that they have. So if, Ariella, you got appointed to a special job, how would you feel? Happy. And you would feel like you... I remembered. You were remembered. You counted. And here, you know, we can use your, your little internship here at Aleph Beta as an example, right? You come to Aleph Beta and imagine that you're here for two days and you say, hi, I'm here for my internship. And no one blinks. You sit around for 15 minutes. You sit around for half an hour. You sit around for two days and no one even acknowledges your presence. How do you feel? Unnoticed. Unnoticed. Keep on going. Forgotten forgotten even more how will you feel like i don't make a difference like i don't make a difference like i don't count so you see how those words come together right but then someone comes and says oh my gosh ariella i can't even believe it we have this incredibly important job that only you can do we're going to appoint you over this job all of a sudden you're going to make this difference so now you do count now you've been remembered in a way you almost feel like you've been redeemed. To be unredeemed is to feel lowest of the low. But to be redeemed is someone has taken my soul and I feel renewed, right? Which is what it can feel like when, when you actually matter in the world. So it's, it's this idea of mattering as an individual, as a nation, which really is perhaps the essence of the idea of pakad. Pakad means more than just count, more than just numbers, the English word number says taking just one shade of pakad, but pakad means more than that. It means to appoint. It means to count. It means to be redeemed. It means to be remembered. It means to not be forgotten. It means to actually gain significance. Now here's my challenge for you. Let's go back and read the names of these books and see if we can find a line. 
that we can draw through all four of them. Almost a story that's being told through Breshit, Shmot, Vayikra, and Bamidbar slash Chomash HaPikudin. Let's start from the very beginning, as Julie Andrews would once say, a very good place to start in Genesis, right? Here we have this very first book. We say it's not just like a, a three, it's a ten. It's a really good name. Why is it a good name? Because in Breshit, it's the beginning of what? It's the beginning of everything. Of everything, which is to say not just a universe, but the beginning of a nation. A family that starts with Avram, then it devolves to Yitzchak, and then to Yaakov, and then his children, and they're on the cusp of becoming something more. They're on the cusp of becoming a nation, right? Now, when something goes from just a person, you'd say in the larger scope of the universe, which is what creation is all about, right? How much does any one person count or matter? Look at the universe, big place, 100 billion galaxies. Every galaxy, 100 billion stars. Out of one of those lonely stars, there's nine planets on the third rock from the sun. There's seven billion people. One of them in the scope of the universe doesn't seem like it counts that much, right? Well, there's some people that count a lot in the whole world. Okay, good. There's some people that count a lot. Some people that can make their mark. What do you do to make your mark? What makes you count? You change the world. You change the world. These people that came along, that began to change the world, that began to count, because Avram was important not just because of what Avram did, but because of the family and the legacy that he left behind. Now, in Hebrew, there's a word for legacy that you leave behind as a person grows into a family, that grows into a nation. When a person dies and they want something to be carried on, what do they want to be carried on? And think about Yibum here. With this notion that a person dies and they don't have kids, they don't have legacy. So the brother of the deceased is supposed to marry the widow, and then they're supposed to have this child. Now they have the child, in the words of the Torah, what do they carry on from that dead brother? If they will only have that child to continue his legacy. What's the Hebrew term for that? The name. Lo yimacheshmo Israel. His name shouldn't be blotted out. Isn't it interesting, Ariella? What's the next book in the Torah after Breshit? Shmo. The book of? Names. Names. The moment when we really start to count. Because there's a legacy. The person has not just become a person, but a family. And the family is on the cusp of becoming a nation. And the nation is going to make a name for itself, a name for God. And there's all these people. And the people who started the nation, they all count. We're counting their names. They all matter. And you know they matter because they all have names. The difference between a whole bunch of people and people who matter is if those people I'm looking at are not just dots on the screen, but they all have names. So naming someone is a way of describing that they count, they matter. Now, the problem with mattering is that there's a couple things that can get in the way of mattering. Dying can get in the way of mattering. If you die, you no longer matter. But if your name is continued, if someone continues your legacy, then they keep your name alive and you still continue to matter. So when that one person, Abraham, dies and his name is continued and he has a family and everyone in that family matters and they all have names and there's a nation that's there and is going to make a name for themselves, maybe that's what Shemot is about. But there's only one problem. What happens the minute after you learn the names of this incipient nation? Look at the very first paragraph in Shemot. It's devoted to the names of this nation, and the nation should just come into fruition, right? It should become this wonderful named nation that actually matters in the world and is, is making a difference in this world of creation. 
But they do make a difference, Abba. Yes, go ahead. That's what our whole religion is about. That's right. But you're reading from the end. In the end, we make a difference. Let's say you didn't know the end and just read verse 8 and 9. There was a new king in Mitzrayim that didn't know Yosef. Ah, didn't know Yosef. Yosef was the intern now, and there's this new king that's ignoring Yosef, and someone stops counting, the most important of the Israelites, and Yosef doesn't count. And what did he tell his people? Vayomer alamo. Keep on reading. What's he concerned about? That Bnei Israel is bigger and better than the giant. They count too much, right? They're making too much of an impression. They matter too much. We're worried about them. We're worried that they can do us harm. So what does he do? He enslaves them. And as he enslaves them, what is he seeking to do? He's seeking to make sure, keep on reading. So let's deal wisely with them. And he tries to keep their numbers down as he tries to keep the population smaller. And to that end, he throws baby boys into the Nile. And when you throw baby boys in the Nile, what are you really saying about the human life that you're destroying? That they don't count. That they don't count. That they don't matter. That every one of them is expendable. So this really is the book of names. It's the book in which everything turns on names. Do you matter or don't you matter? And it's a devastating book of slavery. And all then these slaves are redeemed. And they come out of slavery. And listen to that word. They are redeemed. And as they come out of slavery, the great question for them is, what's going to be? So God says, I want to tell you guys something. You count. You matter to me. And then there's one person. And that person is called when someone is called by God, that person matters. Vayikra. That's right, Vayikra. And so you have not just a nation of names, then maybe they count, maybe they don't count, maybe they're slaves, maybe they're nothing. But now there's one person, and that person is, is called and goes into this Mishkan, and God says, here's my place among you. And you begin to count, and Moshe begins to count. Maybe it's just Moshe. What about the people? The question for the people is, are they just a bunch of former slaves? Are they people who don't have confidence in themselves? Are they people who don't have enough in themselves to establish relationships with each other, to establish a nation, to matter in the world, to fulfill their destiny? Will they matter or won't they matter? What is Bamidbar all about? Bamidbar is about the struggle. If you think about Bamidbar, the, the story of Korach, Think about the story of the spies. Think about all the backsliding that happens in Babidbar. The struggle for the nation is, will they go backwards and say, let's go back to Egypt. Let's make a new person go back to Egypt, the world in which we did not count, the world in which we had no names, the world in which we didn't matter. Will we go that way or will we go forward into the land? And therefore, it is Bamidbar. It is no man's land. It's the place between the world in which we did not count, the world of slavery and the world of Egypt, and the world in which we do count, wherein we're a nation in our new land. And therefore, it is the book of Pikudim. It is the book of counting. It is the book of mattering. It is the book of a nation struggling with whether they matter. And the question for them it will be, will they matter? Will they reclaim their names? Or will they go back into nameless slavery? That is the challenge, I think, of Sefer Bamidbar. Okay, Ariella, 
Thank you so much. Uh, it's been fun learning this through with you, but I think what we have really is a way of thinking about the first four books of the Torah, culminating in Chumash HaPikurim and Sefer Bamidbar, which I think is a really exciting thing. Folks, thanks a lot. We will see you again next week in Parsha Lab. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can actually go to your favorite podcast provider on Apple iTunes or on SoundCloud or in any way you get your podcast and click the subscribe button and something just magical will happen, folks. You will find this podcast just waiting for you every week and you just press play and listen. Rate us on iTunes so that other people will will find us. See you next week. Have a very happy week. Shabbat shalom. Bye-bye.